Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Gennari. Today, we are speaking with Marianne Snow. Thank you so much for joining us, Marianne. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So I am excited to introduce Marianne. Her At her remote nation institute, Marianne Snow is rewriting the rules of leadership in this new age of remote, distributed, virtual, flexible work. Her experience operationalizing and optimizing flex, flexible work programs is practical, real world, and results driven. In her new book, The Remote Work Handbook, due for publication in summer of 2022, Marianne's philosophy, on-the-ground experience, and pragmatic approach to building and leading successful, resilient teams in today's new, ever-changing workplace workplace is outlined. So this is very exciting, and um, there's no better time to talk about remote work when there's all this talk about it, and then you have... (laughs) CEOs coming out publicly, like, uh, you know, at Facebook and Tesla, and, and they're saying no more, we're over it, done. <laughs> and then you have others who, you know, the workforce is saying, no, this is the way it's always going to be forever and ever and ever. So, I mean, what a great debate to have today. So, yeah, I know yeah. it's, it's pretty funny, isn't it, Angela? And I know that, um, you know, um, we were just talking about your business, the, yeah. you know, the mm-hmm. business of events, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, talk about just seismic change and talk mm. about just um, some real proof of concepts about how people can get together and share information, right? Right. And um, all the stuff that came out of the pandemic, there were things that came out of that pandemic that really proved that there are more opportunities um, for people who are creative, who are nimble, and who aren't afraid to try stuff. So um, I know companies like yours that are actually thinking about um, different ways to integrate um, virtual events and different types of virtual events as a new revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for, for 20 years, I was in the meeting management business, and now my business is mostly staffing and security. So it's it's transformed a bit. But, um, you know, for me, my business currently depends on people being in person. You know, when you're hosting or not hosting, but when you're staffing events at stadiums and arenas, there's not a whole lot of virtuality that comes with that but but when we are talking about you know the the actual remote workforce you know the in the office uh workforce there's definitely some room that we could potentially grow as a result of implementing some of those those opportunities well and i also bet that a lot of the logistical coordination that happens in your business mm-hmm. is, um, you know, so in some ways you live in a very interesting hybrid environment where right. you're using um, virtual communications as a time efficiency tool and mm-hmm. a, a cost-effective way to stay in touch. But at the same time, you also have instances where face-to-face um, is going to be an important part of the equation. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I can tell you with my business, one of the things that we've done um, during the pandemic is, you know, ours is again, all, you know, arenas and stadiums and very large events and all the things that were banned during the pandemic is pretty much where my revenue stream is. <laughs> <And> so We, <laughs> we can laugh about it now. Right? <laughs> we can laugh now. <laughs> it wasn't so funny then. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like looking at your face and I'm sitting there saying, yeah, I bet you there were some sleepless nights. Mm-hmm nights in those oh, a few in, the, in those few. months mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know it's it's funny because at the time I was thinking to myself how on earth do I engage employees who only work at events and so you know we started I started looking around and found a whole bunch of online trainings that they could do uh, I was just scouring um, every type of journal and you know what what publications can I read? What can I recommend? How can I engage with them? And it wasn't so much about getting them to work. It was the engagement. It was the engagement during that five-month 
span of, you know, literally having events banned by law. <laughs> and so, you know, it was that five month span that we had to get through and I didn't want to lose our employees. And so I had to keep that engagement going. And so the engagement came from, you know, hey, this educational tool is great. This newsletter, this, you know, and I was, they were probably sick of hearing from me at some point, but um, you have to, that that's a, that's a thing with remote work. You need to engage, right? And so you have to get creative. And, you know, there are so many things that started during the pandemic that we have continued, you know, like the, you know, Zoom updates when it when it's a pre-event meeting. So pre-event briefings, we will still do a Zoom update and we will still do, um, you know, some meetings, you know, with our internal staff uh, through Zoom and through other remote means. So there's still a lot of things that have um, caught on and stuck. So tell me what led you down this path, because you've been doing this far longer than just 2020. The pandemic didn't drive you here, but I'm sure it definitely did exacerbate the, the conversation. Well, I'm self-employed now. I have my own companies now. But okay. uh, in um, the 90s, I was working in corporate America. And in that uh, iteration of my career, I was actually in international finance. Although wow. um, previous to international finance, I was um, working regionally with people who were still spread out in uh, across a state. And then I went um, national, and then mm -hmm. I went international. So I started working remotely when getting a message out meant I had to go into a video studio, record something on a VHS cassette, wow. um, uh, get someone to make copies, take mm -hmm. them and put them in envelopes, label those envelopes and take them to something called a post office and, <laughs> right. and send them out. Right. So um it happened to be related to my function mm -hmm. and then it just got um, more and more complex because instead of just dealing with geography, now we're, we were dealing with international culture, languages mm. uh, across disciplines. Um, you know, at one point we were doing projects that impacted 28,000 folks across 11 lines of business in 32 wow. countries. Wow. So um, uh, when you're talking about different types of dispersed and distributed team collaboration, we were at that point, I was actually working with Microsoft on a beta product uh, product that they had called SharePoint, a little oh, beta yeah. project oh, yeah. that they that, had that called SharePoint, <laughs> that little thing. Right. And um, uh, I was working with the team in Redmond trying mm -hmm. to essentially provide proof of concept for them. And at that particular point in time, it was really hard to get people's attention. Yeah. And uh, there were a lot of corporate leaders who really espoused to the view that if you're out of sight, you're out of mind, which mm. means if you're out of mind, you must not be working. So right. uh, mm. no benefit of the doubt, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember yeah. So, okay. So then you had to overcome the, the image of not working by doing what just working more constant communication. How did you overcome that? It was interesting because there was a subset of the um, international community that was doing the same thing that I was doing. And so okay. we formed uh, really a support group that not only did we observe each other, but we also provided each other with tips. We oh, tried wow. different things. We were pretty experimental mm -hmm. because we were working in an international company. The appetite for technology was pretty high. So mm -hmm. we were able to experiment with a lot of different things. We were using Skype before video conferencing was a thing. Wow. Um, uh, we were um, doing international conference calls a little bit differently. So, mm -hmm. you know, so these were things that um, we were experimenting with. And and I started just interviewing all my colleagues to say, um, what's your best practice? What works? What doesn't work? Mm -hmm. And I started observing um, uh, their methodologies. And so I took all that information integrated it into a lot of my process and and started forming my own ideas about um, the best way to operate in these situations. 
Wow, that's that's fascinating. So you were reinvent you were inventing a, a, something that has become now so commonplace. But back then, I mean, you're navigating in the dark. You really don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work and what's going to resonate. Wow, that's interesting. But it's great that you had that, you know, that love for technology and were so willing to embrace it back then, because I'm sure that that was, you know, a big catalyst for you to to kind of be able to embrace it now, you know, and to teach people how to embrace it and how to get comfortable with it. Yeah, because as soon as we adopted it, then the next thing that we did was we started to recruit other people and Mm -hmm. teach other people because those were the people that we were collaborating with. And if we could establish a process with them, that made that relationship more more, um, trusted and effective. And if it's more trusted and effective, then that was making everybody's job easier. So. Absolutely. Well, that's great. All right. And so you wrote this book about remote work. So what mm-hmm. led you down that path? Is it just that so many people were struggling with the idea? I mean, where where did that come from? The germ of the idea came in the middle of the financial meltdown in 2019. Really? And wow. the reason um, that, that the germ of the idea came was because that was the end of my corporate career. Mm. And um, the financial service industry, like many industries, was pretty impacted by what happened in 2008 and 2009. And uh, they were defunding programs. I was lucky enough um, to be uh, laid off with a, a respectable severance package. And I thought that I would be able to take a little time. Mm-hmm. Turn around and um, be, and then be able to go back into uh, industry. And I discovered um, uh, that the industry had changed, and so oh. finding a job was a little bit different. And um, if I was going to go back into industry, I was going to have to take a considerable step back in my career. So wow. at that point, I um, I kind of had a watershed moment, and I mm-hmm. said. If we're going to do this, then I think it's time to reinvent and um, create the new chapter. So um, I took some time. Uh, I interviewed um, folks from all over the world who'd been doing this type of work. Mm -hmm. So I could really think about some of the fundamentals of um, what was going to make a good operating structure and, and how these teams functioned. I taught at universities, um, business universities for three years. Um, And at this point, I was teaching digital business. So this was right at the moment where um, digital media was starting Mm -hmm. to be a thing. So things like community managers and social media marketers didn't exist, Angela, at this particular point in time. Wow. Wow. And so they already thought I was a little bit of a nutcase anyway. <laughs> and then right. they gave me an 8 a.m. time slot. Oh, geez. <laughs> so the only students who were showing up to my classes were the ones who were a little bit, you know, um, you know, crazy themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, uh, we used the forum as a, a, a great opportunity to experiment with the new tools that were coming up and mm-hmm. the kids who were graduating out of graduating out of my classes were leaving um, my class and then they were getting hired by companies like Reebok and Nike wow. and Fidelity Investments and um, uh, the New England Patriots, you know, um, you know, national sports teams, because these were early adopters of those mm-hmm. digital technologies. So there's so. that. It's worth it to get up at 8 a.m. for a class, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's great awesome. for them, right? Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Well, that's really cool. So, so then you write this book and, um, you know, in the meantime, there's this whole pandemic about to, you know, come into play and everybody is remote. So how popular did this become? <laughs> oh my God. You know, uh, how is it that overnight, um, suddenly so many people become remote work experts, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. So suddenly everybody has commentary and things like that. And, and it was interesting because, um, uh, Really, my focus during the pandemic was a feeling of 
real um, desire to help people who are struggling. Yeah. So um, uh, during 2020, 2000, leading up to um, the the pandemic, during mm-hmm. 2020, 2021, and even into 2022, we worked with healthcare systems that were struggling. We um, uh, we were giving away our um, uh, proprietary knowledge. We were wow. teaching free classes. We were doing free webinars. We were talking to. We talked to the CDC. We talked to different governments. We talked to. We talked to um, professional um, organizations wow, for awesome. um, industries like the travel industry, mm-hmm. which clearly was impacted. The restaurant oh, yeah. industry, which was clearly mm-hmm. impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other industries that clearly um, took a hit. Realtors, you name it. Um, and we were going there and we were pro bono talking about how do you navigate? How do you engage? And please, please, you said at the beginning um, uh, that you spent a lot of time investing in your people, engaging in them. Yeah. One of the things that will pay you back in spades, people remember how they were treated the last two and a half years. Mm, absolutely. And it was companies like yours mm. that um, showed a human side, were reaching out to keep people connected who were also checking in with their people to see how they were doing, helping them from a wellness and a well-being point of view. These Mm -hmm. are the people who really, um, these are the ones who are experiencing much less turnover right? and um, have a lot more stability in their staffs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I can tell you lots and lots and lots of companies that went dark, that Mm -hmm. didn't stay in contact, that weren't prepared, and um, they're suffering as a result. Yeah, you know, we actually heard a lot of that from our employees because a lot of most of our employees are part time. And so, you know, it was tough because we had no idea what to expect. But, you know, with part time, they weren't guaranteed any money after, you know, once we once the event shut down and all of our venues shut down. And so, you know, the first thing we did when when uh, when all of our within 24 hours, we lost a pretty significant amount of our annual revenue that was projected over the next, you know, 90 days from there. And uh so we had no idea what to do, but I made a call to my accountant and I was like, so how are we? Are we going to survive this? He's like, yeah, you know, thankfully, I think we're in all right shape. We got, you know, we've got some, some savings and we, we can, we can do okay. And I was like, can we, can I go buy gift cards for our employees? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, you know, the only promise I've ever made is that I'll help put food on the table. And, and I feel like I need to the step up to that. And I said, you know, eat it's my job to make sure they're going to be okay. And I know that, you know, there's plans for assistance coming, but who knows how long that will take. So I'm going to go buy everybody a Kroger gift card and send it to them. And he's just like, okay, (laughs) you know, but I I think he's like, he's like, well, you know, let's just keep in mind that we don't know how long this is going to last. I said, okay, well, let me just fulfill this promise. And then, but it was great. I think it was a show of of humanity and goodwill because a lot of our employees just really resonated with them that, Hey, you know what? We don't know what's next, but we can put food on the table right now. And so, and that, that meant a lot to them. And I think that's, you know, companies that just reach out and engage and say, Hey, look, I don't know what's, what's next, but all I can do is the next best thing, right? And yeah, well, value-based leadership, right? And mm-hmm. I think that that's something that's really important. Absolutely. So how can people, um, I with all this controversy and all this talk back and forth, you know, you got Elon Musk and you've got um, the, uh, Facebook, um, you've, got, you've got these guys coming out and saying, okay, we don't think anyone's working. We really want to kind of hold your feet to the fire. What's going on? How do you balance this? How do, where do we go? How do we do this? And so tell me how companies can ensure success, but then also how employees can be set up for success. So how can, how can, we, how can we make this work? So um, the interesting thing is, uh, I think you have to differentiate between what was a soundbite yeah. to get clicks. Yep. 
yep. and get um, uh, to become a trending topic sure. in what's actually pragmatic and practical in the work mm-hmm. world. Oh, yeah. Because if you go back and you read the fine print of what all of these companies have said, mm-hmm. uh, there's a little PS down the bottom that came out just a couple of days later saying, well, maybe we'll rethink this. Okay. Because um, the the dirty little secret was before the pandemic, these mm-hmm. companies had dispersed or distributed teams. They were already working out of um, out of the line of sight. Right. So very often in these mega companies, a boss would be sitting in a different building, um, a different state, a different mm-hmm. time zone than the people they were supervising. And sometimes you could have multiple team members spread across multiple geographies, Mm. sometimes um, uh, just in a building that had lots of um, floors and sometimes in a larger construct. The other thing is people tend to forget that before the pandemic, we had conference calls People, um, a, a, as soon as we got cell phones, as soon yeah. as we got got mobile laptops, we were answering emails out of an office structure. We were 24-7 then. Yeah. We were also um, working while we were traveling. We were working, you know, as we were conducting business, regardless of where we were going to conduct business from. And even before that, I mean, sales has never been an inside. Nope. You know, unless you're sitting on the phone doing cold calls, quite frankly, you're out in um, the community or you're connecting with people in some sort of meaningful way. That's absolutely right. Great point. Mm -hmm. So now we have COVID and we have a lockdown and you have a workforce that maintained a global economy for two and a half years under the most extreme conditions. Right. They did it. When childcare was was gone, when schools were closed, when um, uh, in some countries they were imp- they were actually imposing, um, uh, you know, different types of travel sanctions. Yeah. Um, they were isolating people, and so for two and a half years, going to the grocery store was tough, and we made it work. That's right. Yep. So for anyone who thinks um, uh, in a senior leadership role that your people weren't working, look at what they produced over the last two and a half years. Mm. Now, we get past COVID and you're telling me that you don't trust me, mm-hmm. then I have to I have to. I have to accommodate a commute when the gas prices are going through the roof. Right. Mm-hmm. Right at the moment where I have childcare, p- kids are going back to school. I actually have a quiet workspace at home. And what a surprise we have the great resignation. Right. Yes. Yeah. So um, I appreciate that. I, I don't think we can romanticize, over romanticize the office because mm-hmm. um, employees who shirk at home, probably shirked in the office. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. The ones who weren't doing anything in the office and standing in the break room the whole time and going out for, you know, a bunch of breaks and yeah, they, they probably weren't all that productive then either. So. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction because Mm -hmm. your producers are going to produce and under the right conditions when there's an operating model which sets clear expectations and then has accountability structures that are set up to your point where um, people are doing check-ins, where they have defined deliverables, where there's some uh, uh, actual KPI, key performance indicator that um, allows them to understand what the success measures are, then people are going to be more successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also people are realizing since the pandemic that, you know, having that little bit of your life back, you know, having that ability to throw ability to throw laundry in while you're, you know, right before your Zoom call, right before, you know, or or go get your son off the bus or your kid off the bus <laughs> at the time that you need to, you know, these are these are important life things that we've missed out on when we were commuting. And, you know, I'm I'm one who I've always had um, 
a good home office because I am a single parent. And so there are many, many times that I would be working late at night when my son was in bed because I didn't want to be late at the office. Right. So I'd go into the office and then I'd come home and then I'd wait for, you know, I'd kind of take care of him. And then I, and then when he went to bed, I would get all my work done. And so having a really good solid home office was important to me then. And through the pandemic, especially. So I always say I go into the office now for other people. I don't go in for me. I get more done at home. <laughs> so, yeah, And I think it's really important that um, we start to evaluate. And, and it's interesting because I was um, recently on an international panel that was talking about how uh, the shift to a more flexible work uh, uh situation is going to impact everything from how downtowns are designed, how we use space. It's actually driving house designs in different parts of the world. And it's going to be part of the United States as well. That's interesting. And uh, appreciate that um, these are going to have long-term consequences because first of all, the rest of the globe, Mm -hmm. uh, any um, company that's done business with the United States for any length of time has had to make adjustments because appreciate that if you live in Australia or you live in China or you live in any part of Asia, mm-hmm. you're 13 hours ahead right? minimally yeah. uh, mm-hmm. of the United States, mm-hmm. which means if you're running an international team or you're working in an international forum, there's somebody in that meeting who's in their pajamas either because they're just about to go to bed right. or because they just got up. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, part of this is taking a step back and looking big picture at the fact that we literally need to be global citizens and more cognizant of what we're actually trying to achieve as business people. Okay. And I think it's really important that um, if we're going to bring everybody back into the office so that senior leaders can demonstrate to themselves that they have a, a senior leader position, that um, they get to be on their special floor, they get right. to have their special parking space, they get mm-hmm. to then. I'm okay with that because my business is going to adapt and I'll have a differentiator and I'm going to eat your lunch. So stick Mm -hmm. with your antiquated, your antiquated approach, because I'm going to find the opportunities in the moment for cost efficiencies, for business advantage, for competitive differentiation, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use it in a tight labor market to staff my business with the best people that I can find. And I'm going to do it because my labor pool is a heck of a lot bigger than yours. That's awesome. I love it. Yes, absolutely. I think that is a great point. So I want to pivot really quickly um, because you also have a biotech company. So how did you get started in biotech? Because talk about differentiating factors and talk about, you know, being able to recruit, you know, great people. Tell me what led you down that path and tell me a little bit about Escara, Escra uh, Biotech. Yeah, Escra Biotech. Um, uh, So one of the things um, that um, your podcast is predicated on is, you know, really kind of um, learning life lessons, right? Yes. Um, taking the most from um, the things that happened to you and, and really um, internalizing those life lessons and, and using them in some sort of meaningful and productive way. Absolutely. So when I lost my um, corporate identity in 2009, and I found out that suddenly it wasn't um, going to come back to me easily and I was going to have to um, make a change, I discovered that, um, first of all, I discovered that too much of my life had been tied up with a corporate identity. I was a you know, director, uh, uh, a vice president, a senior vice president, you know, whatever it was, a senior executive um, of a corporation of X, you know, YZ corporation. Right. And suddenly, you know, now I can say I'm a CEO and founder of three businesses. I have um, my 
consulting company, Sophia. I have a, a Remote Nation Institute, which is a learning organization. And guess what? I also have a biotech company. Well, that is fascinating. I love that. You know, but um, but nobody knows what those are. And that right. was a humbling experience because mm. um suddenly I went from having an expense account and being able to to fly, you know, business class to to different locations, right, to being a scrappy little um small business owner who had to make people care about us, right? Yeah. Who had to build by differentiators. And one of the things I learned in that process is we put ourselves in boxes. Oh, you know, yeah. we create our own cage. We create our identities based on artificial constructs. And so when I left corporate America and went through that transformation process, one of the things I did for um, a full two years was just send yes to everything. Oh, I love it. That's, I love that. That's, my business philosophy as well. Say yes and figure it out. So tell me where that led you. Say yes and figure it out. So um, saying yes actually um, took me on a world speaking tour. Wow. Um, uh, saying yes um, uh, got me um, adjunct professorships in two universities. I was a radio co-host for two years. Um, uh, and I um, started three companies, uh, one of which is a biotech company, which happens to um, also be a company that was just awarded a big um, contract award from NASA. So not only wow. are we a biotech company, but um, we have we just got awarded $2 million to put um, experiments on the International Space Station. That's incredible. And if you had told me in 2008... Then I would be the financial doing <laughs> all of these things. I mm. would have said, "Yeah, right, uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen." Right, right. And um, here we are in 2022, and uh, when a very, very, very dear friend, um, whom I've known for 15 years, who happens to be a biomedical engineer, and he's been threatening to start a company for a million years, mm -hmm. came to me and said. We both had bad partner experiences. I don't want to do it with anybody else. I want you to um, uh, help me with my company. Will you help me start a biotech company? I did what I've been doing for a long time. I mm -hmm. said, yes. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. It's not easy to say yes, is it? I mean, it, it takes a lot of courage sometimes and a lot of a lot of tenacity and a little bit of uh, insanity. <laughs> yes, I think insanity. I think um, sense of humor, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you have to have a. I think you have to maintain a, a really good sense of humor, and I'm sure because you've been through a lot too. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we learn, right, that you and I have learned in a big way, is that things are probably not as complicated as they first appear. Um, uh, and no matter what the situation is, you have life experience, business experience, professional experience that has yeah. armed you with a set of tools. Mm -hmm. And if you can get over your terror and take a deep breath and really look at the circumstance, you will find equivalents and you'll figure out how to apply your tool set. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is fa fascinating. So you, you've started these companies and I know you've been through a million obstacles. Tell me about one obstacle that really was a pivot point for you um, in, in, in overcoming and overcoming and gaining that courage to say yes. So I think probably the biggest low point was um, actually before I um, formally launched Sophia, because up until that point, I was doing research and I was really thinking about the changes that were happening and how people were connecting to do work around the world. And I was also thinking about my own experiences as a um, remote professional and getting mm -hmm. dissed by <laughs> lots of people who were absolutely sure I wasn't working if I was <laughs> outside the office, right? Right. Me and all my colleagues who happen right. to be pretty capable. Mm -hmm. And um, so 
as part of my exploration, I went out in the world and I started learning about startups and I started learning about the ecosystem and how people were doing it. And um, one of the things that happens if you say yes enough is you start having conversations with lots of different people who have lots of different opinions and lots of different expertise in different places. And I was fortunate enough to have a meeting with um, somebody who is a pretty influential venture capitalist in Boston who happens to um, like to invest in technology, biotech, life sciences, those sorts of things. Okay. And um, so he gave me an hour of his time and I sat down and had a conversation with him and I told him about my idea yeah. to standardize remote work processes, to help organizations um, leverage the um, talent um, in their workforce that was untapped because a lot of people were getting passed up for promotion because of the fact that they weren't sitting in front of someone's face. So mm. just really kind of rethinking about um, workforce utilization and also operating models, which were pretty antiquated in my opinion. Yeah, And um, I had a, a I what I thought was a compelling business case, and I had talked to other folks and had gotten some some positive reception. And this individual was very kind, but very firmly told me I was trying to boil the ocean. It wasn't a oh, business model. Um, nobody would ever do this. Um, uh, it would never be relevant. Um, and by the time I got done, um, it was pretty clear that um, that not only had the idea been dismissed, but uh, he was very actively telling me that I needed to go and find uh, work in a, in a completely different direction. Oh my gosh. So, um, you know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to um, really accept the fact that there will always be naysayers, right? Always, always, 100%. And if and you're going to do something that nobody's doing and you're mm -hmm. doing something that's kind of um, weird, yeah. uh, you know, unusual, mm -hmm. then you're going to get a higher level of skepticism. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. you can't categorize what um, uh, I'm doing in a typical way. So um, that was, I had to go and really do, do some soul searching. I had to think about it. And then hmm. in 2015, I uh, incorporated and I've never looked back since. Yeah. Oh, well, good for you. And aren't the naysayers and the critics just interesting because um, I have a, I have a quote on the, on my pretty powerful podcast LinkedIn page I thought was just so funny because it's the critics. Boy, I tell you, so when locomotives were first introduced, you know that um, they told, they said that it was unsafe for women because at high speeds, our uterus would fly out of our body. So <laughs> thank God we didn't listen to the critics then. And we're not going to listen to them now either. <laughs> right. And, you know, I think, um, being female um, mm -hmm. and being uh, an entrepreneur uh, yeah. and being a, a business owner, being um, uh, over 30 and mm -hmm. um, uh, being a business owner, uh, just, you know, uh, all of these things, if you're going to compare yourself to um, the whatever the flavor of the month is, right, whatever mm -hmm. is, is the, the current trending topic, right? then um, you're going to waste far too much time. So, yeah. So I always tell my people that no one's waiting for us to arrive, that yeah. we have to make people, you know, we have to make our case. Mm -hmm. And it also really taught me that not everyone is going to be my audience. Not everyone is going to be my client base. And I'm completely comfortable with that. Yeah. And I think you become more comfortable with it, with age, with wisdom, you know, with life experience, you just realize that not every client is a great client. Not every, you know, not every penny you make was, was worth it. <laughs> so you start yes. walking away from the takeaway piece and you realize peace is way more important to me than money. So yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, I didn't write the book right away because I was too busy doing all, I was too busy implementing the principles. Yeah. But in um, 2021, a friend, very dear friend of mine, had contacted me and said, um, you need to write a book because the world needs the book. And yeah. um, and uh, so I was very, very fortunate uh, to come into contact with two people who helped me to do that. One it was actually a, a professional woman. Her name is Alison Jones. She has a publishing company in the UK, but she teaches uh, a workshop for anybody who is interested in writing a book on um, how to build a good book proposal from a, a business perspective. Oh. Fantastic. And um, then I did the business proposal and I did the outline and she said, you have to send this. And she gave me the list of people to send it to. And the second person who made this happen was my editor at um, Rutledge, which is Rutledge um, Press is a, is a subsidiary of Francis and Taylor and um, Chris Mendansky, God bless her soul, um, Mm -hmm. has sort of marshaled me through the process. So I've had strong women at my sides kind of helping me move forward. Thank God. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. That is, that's really great because um, women helping other women is one of my favorite things in the whole world. So that's awesome. So who inspires you? My inspiration I think that, um, you know, it's not a bigger inspiration. I find inspiration in very small things. Um, And um, sometimes the quietest moments, you know, um, when I'm doing something that I, you know, am am saying, oh, geez, I, I find this really kind of difficult and tiresome. I wish I didn't have to do it. Um, all of those sorts of things. And then someone says to me, oh, I really wish I could be doing what you're doing. And yeah. it makes me grateful because I have to step back and say, wow, you're doing something that somebody else, um, you know, admires and is envious and aspires to. Yeah, so, that's really cool. You know, having gratitude in those moments. And I think the other thing is that I find really inspirational is all the people who get themselves up and pick themselves off and and keep moving forward under the most difficult of circumstances, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, those are people who um, really inspire me and remind me that, um, you know, life is life is not fair. Life, um, you know, life is not easy that um, we're working towards something. And, you know, you and I were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about value-based leadership and, and what's, what's really important is Mm -hmm. money the only thing, or can you look yourself in the mirror in the morning? Can you get up and feel good about things? And, Mm-hmm. So um, those are the the places I find my inspiration. It's really in in the everyday um, interactions that I have. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I I'm always thinking, you know, instead of you know how much money do I have or how much of this do I have, it's not a material thing. It's how do people remember me? You know, like if I died today, how will people remember me? And that that matters so much more because you can't take anything with you, but your reputation lives on long after you. And so, yeah, that's really important. So I love that. So tell me about a time. So as women, you know, we give our power away a lot. We, we give accolades to everybody in our life sometimes, except for us. And you even said, like, sometimes I forget like how hard I'm working and other people aspire to do what I'm doing. And that's, that's something to be proud of. Um, But so many times as women, we give our power away. So tell me about a time that you gave your power away. And then tell me about a time that you stepped back into your power. So I think the time period that I regret most, and I don't Mm -hmm. have a lot of regrets because, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because what's done is done. So learn the life lessons and sometimes it's just not your path. Right. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and you just have to accept that. And I think getting older helps you with that. Mm -hmm. But there was a time um, relatively early in my career when I was experiencing a lot of um, career success. I was um, the only woman executive in uh, a particular company that I was working with and I was at the senior levels and I was a person who other women in the company um, thought of as a role model. 
And I was having a conversation with the president of the company and he looked at me and he said, well, you know, of course, someone with your title and your job description would never be able to move to like the C-suite or to move forward in in these venues because, of course, that's non-traditional. Wow. And um, and I took it. I yeah. actually sat there and I didn't push back. Mm-hmm. And I didn't push back for lots of different reasons. Part of it was I was young. Part of it was culture. Part of right. it was probably intimidation, all of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. But I walked out of that office diminished as a result. Yeah, absolutely. That you can feel when you give your power away sometimes, you know, and in moments like that, you just feel like he just took something from me, you know, like that person just took something and I gave it to them willingly and I didn't fight for it. So tell me about a time that you stepped into your power. I think, um, you know, I had mentioned to you that after um, corporate America um, became um, less practical for me and I was making different career choices to really kind of blaze my own path, as I was um, saying yes to things, it brought me into rooms that um, were non-traditional spaces. So non-traditional in the sense that... um, you know, I was in industry events where I didn't have at that moment in time direct contact with that industry. And and one of the industry events I happened to end up at was at a venture capital event with um, a, a bunch of um, uh, venture capital folks from um, our local area. Okay. And we were doing the networking thing and I was being respectful and I was just really kind of having conversations, asking questions. And then someone turned and looked at me and said, what are you doing here? Wow. And, and, and I looked at him straight in the face and I said, I was invited. Yeah. Absolutely. um, And he didn't have a comeback for that because that was absolutely true. I was there mm-hmm. because I had been given an invitation because I said yes to that invitation. I invited myself into that room. I gave myself permission to be there. And ever since then, um, I've learned that um, I'm the person who gets to determine what room I'm going to be in, what room I'm not going to be in and um, where I belong and where I don't belong. Yes, I love that. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, kudos for you for for responding to him and, you know, not shying away from that conversation. So good for you. Good for you. I think, you know, age and wisdom and also um, owning your own business and and taking Mm. it on the chin most of the days really kind of toughens you up quite a bit. Absolutely does. <laughs> yes, it does. So tell me what uh tell me what advice you give to 18-year-old you going out into the workforce, starting out in your career. What advice would you give to you? I would um tell myself that um the world is actually not as scary as I thought it was when I was 18. That um uh you know that the there will always be you know, um, good people and bad people, but the good people Mm -hmm. actually outweigh the bad people. So look for the good people and give people the benefit of the doubt. And really, I would congratulate my 18-year-old self for maintaining my curiosity and my love of learning and um, my sort of stubborn um, drive to um, do new stuff and to push my boundaries. So I'd be congratulating my 18-year-old self for that. And I would be be the biggest cheerleader saying, you know, you're going to do some cool stuff. Don't be worried. Awesome. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. That courage, that, you know, that reassurance, I think, would go a long way if we could go back and just say everything's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So one last question. I really love this conversation and I really learned a lot. And thank you so much for sharing. But what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that, um, you know, everything that exists in the world is actually an artificial construct. At a certain point in time, someone made it up. Yeah. 
Um, uh, and so um, uh, rules are uh, appropriate, but rules should be evaluated and they should be really examined appropriately and um, uh, and even challenged sometimes. And I'm completely, totally cool with doing that in professional and respectful and responsible ways. And I think that that's important, particularly at this particular moment, because we're kind of at a, a really interesting societal inflection point where there's so much polarity. People, mm. people are finding it so difficult to have conversations yeah. and they're doing it based on um, this sort of arbitrary construct. Can we take a step back and, and really have a conversation as humans to humans. Can we really see each other as people? Because what I know based on my life experience is that, you know, the global universe, we are actually more alike than we are different. Yes, absolutely. And um, there are universal, uh, you know, just base themes that um, we all kind of live by. Most mm -hmm. of us are just trying to, we're just trying to do the best we can. We're mm -hmm. just trying to get along. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't want to be Pollyanna about it, nor do I want to minimize some of the, you know, the the big challenges that we have. But I think it's important that, that we will not be able to tackle those challenge as polarized groups. I think at some point, there has to be something bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And, and I love that you say, you know, it's okay to challenge and reevaluate because I think one of the phrases that I can't stand the most in the world is when somebody says, well, we do it this way because that's the way it's always been done. Well, there's right. no better reason to shatter that to pieces than because it's always been done that way. You know, that that's the perfect time to take it and break it into a million little pieces and rebuild that in a way that makes sense and works for now. Right. Because, you know, we, we embrace technology, but we don't allow it to do what it can do. You know, we want to hold it back so that it reminds us of how things used to be. <laughs> you know? it's, it's interesting. You know, we want to embrace just the, just the parts that work for us in the moment that we want it to work. And then not the rest. And so yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We could have a whole nother conversation yeah. about that, right? <laughs> All the times in history that people were afraid of the advancements, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, not everything is going to be um, a great advancement. And sometimes we're going to make stupid decisions. But the plain 100%. fact is, is that, you know, um, life should be an iteration, not a calcification process, right? Yes, yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Marianne Snow. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I have really enjoyed this conversation and um, I wish you nothing but the best. Well, thanks, Angela. It's been my pleasure too. I'll be happy to come back and, and have lots of conversations with you anytime. Please do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you so much again for joining us. It was a pleasure and honor having you here today. And be sure to join us next time here on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next show. Thanks for listening and watching, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.